A story is told of an anti-Semite who walks into a bar and sees there a man with a kippah. He shouts out to the bartender, drinks for everyone but not the Jew. Soon after, he notices that the Jewish man is smiling and says, thank you. Which infuriates him and again orders drinks for everyone except, of course, for the Jew who continues to smile and again says, thank you. So the man says to the bartender, now I've ordered two rounds of drinks for everyone in this place except for him and all he does is smile at me. Is he nuts? No, the bartender says, he owns the place. <laughs> that said, however much ownership we may have felt for this place is not like it has been or was a month ago and may never be again. On the night of the 7th of October, a day awash with the kinds of images that Jews had only known to see in black and white, of women brutally raped, people gunned down in piles, young children mercilessly murdered, Twitter and other social media outlets were filled with the recording of the singer Bono and his group U2 playing these words at their show in Las Vegas. Early morning on October 7th, as the sun is rising in the desert sky, stars of David, they took your life. It was one of but a flood of love that the Jewish world was showered with. The Eiffel Tower, the Empire State Building, Brandenburg Gate, and the Tower of London were covered in the white and blue of the Israeli flag. Condolences came in from heads of state, politicians, artists, sickened from the horrible violence. And then we, retweeted and forwarded articles to each other, all thinking the same thing. They love us. We dared to dream with 1,400 still warm, unburied dead Jews that the world would open their eyes and understand what we have been fighting all these years. That it's never been about an occupation, checkpoints, or negotiations. Because as the Hamas terrorists stabbed, and shot and immolated their way through villages, their recordings show what they were looking for because they never once said Israelis. It was Yehud, it was the Jews. The only resolution, resolution that they would be at peace with is the death of every Jew, first there and then here. At the same time, we knew the lights would be turned off the buildings the loving media coverage would end, and we also knew when that would happen, the moment that Israel would decide to fight back. In other words, the love would stop when we had decided that it was enough of killing of us. Since then, we've been treated to wall-to-wall -wall coverage of death counts from Gaza, which include their armed combatants, the disgusting assumption that the Hamas-controlled authority in Gaza is as reliable a source as the Israeli government, with Israel being accused of bombing a hospital which strikes close to here at home. Among the very first, it was our prime minister who condemned Israel for the hospital bombing. Check the Twitter feeds, my friends. When verifiable proof was offered that it didn't come, because it was proved by the Israeli telemetry 
then bolstered by American and British satellite intelligence, at the then the, the British Prime Minister and the American President both said it was from Hamas. Justin Trudeau would then say he needs more information before changing his mind. Where exactly that was to come from, we don't know. But his silence establishes him to him that Hamas is more reputable than Israel or the United States or Britain. Five years ago this week, I was at a community dinner where our Prime Minister was to make an important statement. It was standing room only. And he came from a prepared text, this is what he told the crowd. That on May the 15th, 1939, more than 900 German Jews on an ocean liner named the St. Louis. That those passengers, he said, had been forced out of their schools, their synagogues had been burnt, their stores raided, Men and women who had been contributors to their country had now been labeled as traitors and enemies and were treated as such. And he apologized on behalf of Canada and concluded by saying that this moment will cement Canada's unwavering commitment to stand with the Jewish community here and around the world in the fight against anti-Semitism. Seventy years ago, he said, Canada turned its back on you. But today, Canadians pledge, now and forever, never again. Philosophically and theologically, I knew how problematic it is to ap apologize for something that someone else did. The words were well-intentioned, but societies need their leaders to both speak and act responsibly. I heard the former and hoped for the latter. True to this hour, this community is waiting for its Prime Minister to denounce the blood-curdling anti-Semitic protests that are taking place in our streets, the defacing of Jewish businesses, the call to boycott Jewish stores. We're calling for him not to just simply call out hate, not to denounce anti-Semitism and other hatreds, because it's not the Jews who are marching and defacing businesses and intimidating other people. This, this community is waiting for one hate crime per prosecution against people calling for Jews to be murdered. This community is waiting to hear the deportation of even one foreign university student for inciting violence. Some sign, more than just saccharine words of love and tolerance, to show that they see the danger that is lurking here. That there is a painful and easy connection to make between the shots fired in Montreal at two Jewish institutions and the lynch atmosphere gripping Jewish communities everywhere in this country. But this government won't call it out, or maybe it thinks it's a small price to pay for their social justice agenda. But someone please tell me, it's not just gunfire that gets the attention of the Prime Minister. In the meantime, there are decisions to be made. Theodor Herzl's vision of a modern Jewish state was found in his second book called Derat Neuland. He imagined the modern Jewish state would be something like Switzerland on the Mediterranean. Society of high education and high manners, symphonies and libraries, a place that would hold the very best of Western Europe, top hats and long coats, wigs and gowns. 
But Herzl isn't the only guilty one here. We are too. The dream that Jews could build Pleasantville in a jungle was elusive but explainable. We wanted to believe that it could be a nice place in the midst of an Amazon, that high-tech fences and not brute force could protect us. But simply because you want something, it doesn't mean that it can be. The decisions that we need to make are seen and heard in the Torah reading from this morning. Like us, Abraham is burying someone he loves. It's his wife, Sarah. And with her death, he needs a place to lay her to rest. You remember Abraham is now in Canaan, the future Israel. And he is not a native, but someone who came from far away to live there. And because of this, he has no ancestral cemetery of his own. And he turns to a local chief to ask for help in this problem. Both of these men are wealthy. And the chief tells him that no money is needed to purchase the land. After all, he tells Avraham, what's 400 shekel between people like us? But Jewish tradition is filled with questions, such as, if the chief didn't want money, why didn't he even mention the amount? But faced with the choice of getting the cemetery for free or paying, Abraham knew that it was a choice between being loved or being feared. And in his great grief, Abraham reaches into his bag and hands the money over, which the chief happily takes. Because he knew that in order to survive in a jungle, that you need to be feared. I know that it is nice to be loved. I know that it is nice to hear Bono singing about us. But Auschwitz and Majdanek were not liberated by love, but through the hot barrels of guns and tanks. If this is a lesson that we have forgotten, that in the words of Brenner, hachashbon olo nigmar, that this bill now needs to be paid. From its inception, Israel has been pitted before a barbarism that people in this country cannot fathom. People who by dint of a shared border under the protective umbrella of the world's largest and most advanced military are spared from. In Canada, where the army is called for floods and blizzards, and where citizens feel besieged by an unfinished subway project. And these are the same people who have never held a gun, who have never served in the military, have never been called to stand on a border and protect their families, are now telling Israel how to wage a war and to protect their homes? Because on October the 7th, a tear in a fence allowed a world to pour in that we didn't want to look at or acknowledge, but no longer. This war will be what wars, wars are always. It will be terrible, it will be bloody, and it will be destructive. And we will win it. And never again forget the part of the world, of living in this world, is that fear must be stronger than love. In a binary world of sheeps and lions, it is no mistake that the symbol of Judah is a lion. And here, my friends, here, you need to toughen up. Don't be a victim. Stop wasting your time forwarding emails to your friends that tell us we aren't what people say we are. 
or what the mayor of New York said, or what some non-Jewish writer in South Africa wrote. Stop being upset at the feebleness of the Star or the Globe and the CBC. In other words, stop looking for love. Stop thinking that you're one good fact or argument away from changing everyone's mind, because we're not. The cultures of Western Europe and Islamist countries are world apart from each other, except for one thing, how they collectively mobilize to hate and murder Jews. In order for us to survive, we must remember the words that Moshe Dayan spoke at the funeral of a young farmer murdered in Nachal Oz. Yes, that Nachal Oz. In 1956, by Arabs from Gaza, Dayan looked at the crowd and told them, if we put these weapons down, those people will butcher us. Which is a message from Jewish history we need and must take to heart and soul. But on this morning abides another message. It is from the faith of the Jewish people. Despite the wrenching and frightening moment that we live in, we are commanded to remember that this is not the world that God wishes for. That the deaths of so many is not God's plan. It is the ruinous hands of some which must be put down by the determined hands of others. And as my hero, Elie Wiesel, would say, that Judaism's wish is not to make the world more Jewish, but more human. And now is the time to pray that such things become true. And despite the seemingly impossible odds that we find ourselves against, we are commanded to never lose hope. And while it would be true to say that every Jew alive today, either spiritually or physically, is the descendant of someone who knew when it was time to pick up and run away, it is deeper and truer to say that every Jew alive today is the descendant of someone who believed that the message handed to us thousands of years ago in a windswept desert was considered as eternal as the messenger that it was given to. The commandment of the hour is, lo yiush, there is no despair. Do you understand? And how do I know this? Because a summer's day in the Israel Museum in Jerusalem reminded me at the newly curated collection from Ilan Ramon's shuttle flight. Ramon, as I'm sure so many of you know, was the son of a Holocaust survivor who became a fighter pilot and a squadron commander and eventually was selected as a specialist with NASA to be destined to go into space. Before leaving for his flight, he asked Yad Vashem to pick items that he could take with him to honor the victims of the Shoah. With him went a Torah savage from Bergen-Belsen, where his parents had been, a barbed wire mezuzah that had been made in one of the camps, and a sketch of the earth made by the murdered child, Peter Ginz. Ilan Ramon would never return to Earth. His shuttle mission, Columbia 107, exploded when it re-entered back into the atmosphere. When the scale of the disaster became clear, NASA asked people along the path of this explosion to search for any items in the hope that they could find clues as to why it was destroyed. Less than 20% would be recovered. But months later, a tracker would find a three-ring book wet and crumpled in a field. When he opened it up, he saw the NASA logo 
and then writing that he couldn't understand, and he called the authorities right away. The book was Elon Ramon's diary. Intact, despite falling 37 miles. Intact, despite passing through re-entry temperatures of over 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit. His was the only diary found, and to this day, no one can, can explain how or why. And this week, I thought that we are no different. Thousands of years earlier, the prophet Zechariah would call the Jewish people Ud Mutzameish, the ember drawn from the fire, which we've seen with our own eyes. A people and community rejecting its differences, people of distant association with their faith being immobilized, the knowledge of how deeply we need each other which is a lesson and sign the Jews in Israel can share and show with every human being in this moment. We pray for the time the dreams God has for us match the ones we should have for one another. But until that moment comes, Moses said, be strong and brave and be not in fear because God is with you. Shabbat shalom.